Well, good evening, church family. Uh, I'm grateful to be able to reflect with you tonight on a day we remember as Good Friday. And, and what we're going to do this evening is we are going to examine some of the last words of Jesus while he was up on the cross right before his death. And so what we're going to do is we're going to briefly observe seven different sayings of Jesus that we find collectively throughout the Gospels as he was being crucified. And my hope is that as we study each of these sayings, is that the words of Jesus would encourage us tonight, that it would humble us as we reflect on what he has to say. That's where we're heading tonight. And my prayers by the end of it will be reminded as to why Good Friday is so good. Uh, I had a seminary professor uh, that used to say that, that Good Friday should actually be, be called Bad Friday. Uh, because it was one of the worst days ever because the greatest person who ever walked the planet was unjustly murdered. I mean, apart from the resurrection, there was nothing good about that day. In fact, it was the single most horrible day in all of history. There has never been an incident more tragic than what happened to Jesus 2,000 years ago. No Military invasion, no economic collapse, no pandemic, no amount of suffering will ever surpass the darkness and the brokenness of that day. Yet Christians all around the world call this day Good Friday, which is interesting because in and of itself, there's nothing good about Friday because death is never good. It's a curse. It's always bad. Death came because sin exists. And wherever there's sin, there's going to be death. And our God hates death. He hates it. That's why he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to come to this earth to ultimately defeat it. And the reason Good Friday is so good is because of Sunday. Because you and I know what the scriptures declare. Our Christ died. He was buried. But three days later, he rose. And when he rose, he declared to the world that I have defeated death and we no longer have to fear it. But that's not my sermon tonight. That will be Rogers on Sunday where he is going to preach about the greatest reason why you and I have hope. Because our Savior is not dead. He's alive. He's alive, and that's why Good Friday is so good. But we won't appreciate Sunday unless we deeply understand what happened on Friday. So tonight, let's meditate on the words of Jesus as he hung up on the cross on that horrible, tragic day as he died for your sins and he died for mine. But before we jump into the word, I'd love for us just to take a moment And silently come before the Lord as we ask him to move in our hearts as we study his word. So would you join me, please, and just pray silently wherever you're at. Well, Father God, we come before you right now. And we ask that you would encourage our hearts tonight. That you would allow the words of Jesus to penetrate deep within us. And I pray that it would change us for the better. We ask this. In the name of Jesus, 
Amen. Well, let's start out by reading Luke chapter 23, uh, verses 32 through 38, as we observe and contemplate uh, the first saying of Jesus while he hung on the tree. And you'll notice these words on the screen. It says this, two others also who were criminals were being led away to be put to death with Jesus when they came to the place called the skull. There they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. And the people stood by, looking on. And even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. And the soldiers also mocked him coming up to him, offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now, there was also an an inscription above him that said, this is the king of the Jews. I want you to notice Jesus' only words in this passage are, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus utters these gracious words, after being wrongfully accused, after being betrayed by some of his closest friends, after being beaten multiple times, and now he's on a tree with with nails in his hands and nails in his feet, and he's being left up to die. And the first words that come out of Jesus' mouth in this horrible moment is, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. I mean, it's, a, it's an incredible statement. Uh, my daughter, Avery, when she's in a good mood, uh, she'll go up to her younger sister, Audrey, and she'll say, Audrey, I love you. And Audrey's my two-year-old wild child, and she'll look back at Avery and say, no, Avery, and then she'll run off. <laughs> and then Avery will calmly look at her and say, Audrey, Even if you say no, I still will always love you. (laughs) I don't know how long that's going to last, but it's, it's sweet right now. But it was love that propelled Jesus to the cross in order to pay the wages of sin that you and I owe. And as he demonstrated this love, the world rejected him. And they said, no, Jesus, we don't love you. Yet Jesus offers us forgiveness Anyway, despite our rejection, his love for us remains because his love is truly unconditional. Even as these soldiers mocked him, as they spat on him, as they struck him, as they left him up to die, Jesus couldn't help but continue to love them because it was in his nature. That's why he came. Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. As believers in Christ, Jesus whispers that to us. After every relapse, after every moment of doubt, after that burst of anger, that lustful eye, that failure, Jesus Jesus whispers, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. That's the heart of our Savior. That's why he came is to offer you and I forgiveness of sins. 
And if you're watching right now and you've never trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, the invitation is on the table. Jesus beckons to anyone who will believe in him forgiveness of all of their sins, past, present, and future. It's there. Will you take it? Will you trust in Jesus? Will you put your faith in him? For those of you that have, will you once again be reminded that forgiveness is yours? You're free. God loves you. And would you relish in that reality once again? You're forgiven. You're forgiven. Let's continue reading verses 39 through 43 as we look at the next words of Jesus. While he was on the cross, it says this. One of the criminals who were hanging there was hurling abuse at Jesus saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuking him said, Do you not even fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you, today, you you shall be with me in paradise. Focus in on Jesus' words in verse 43. Truly, I say to you, today, you shall be with me in paradise. I mean, what a peculiar thing to say to a thief who rightly deserved condemnation. I mean, this man had wasted his life. We don't even know his name. His identity is wrapped up in his sin. Thief. This man had no good works, no baptism, no nothing. Just Jesus. When you enter into your kingdom, remember me. While everybody else mocked Jesus. This thief recognized that there's something different about this Jesus person. There's something unique about him. And he realized that Jesus was not going to stay dead, but he was going to rise and he was going to continue to live and he was going to rule. And so this thief humbles himself and he says, Jesus, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. He asked for grace despite his guilt And that's all that's required when it comes to salvation. We acknowledge our sin and we put our faith in Jesus. We come to God with dirty hands, realizing that he is the only one who can make us clean. We offer God nothing, no works, no nothing, just faith. And by grace, he makes us clean. That's salvation. I've got a Down syndrome uncle uh, named Uncle Paul. And, uh, and Uncle Paul is a staple in the Upmore family. I'm very close with my uncle. And, and we share a common bond uh, for Aggie football. And uh, my granddad used to be pretty involved with Aggie athletics. And often the coaches would give my uncle a VIP pass so that after the game he could go into the locker room and celebrate with the team, which was crucial 
because my uncle did not possess the athletic abilities necessary to be on that team. On his own, he didn't deserve to be in that locker room. But since he had a relationship with the coach and he was given a VIP pass, he was graciously allowed to celebrate with the team. Even in dying agony, Jesus asserts authority to decide where thieves are going to spend eternity. Jesus says, I've got the VIP pass when it comes to the heavenly realms, and no one gets into the pearly gates apart from this pass that only I can give. And it is only granted to those who will humble themselves and trust in Jesus for their salvation. And that's exactly what this thief does. He humbles himself and he says, remember me, Jesus, when you enter into your kingdom. And Jesus responds. He says, listen, son, you're not going to have to wait long for today. You will be with me in paradise. I mean, isn't that beautiful? That's the wondrous hope that we have as believers. When we close our eyes for the last time on this earth, we open them anew in heavenly paradise. Now, one day, Christ is going to come back and he's going to set up his kingdom here on earth and there's going to be no more pain or sorrow or death. But until then, for those of us that fall asleep, for those of us that pass away, Jesus offers us this hope that for those that trust in Christ, we will immediately be ushered into God's presence in heavenly paradise, which should bring us much comfort during these troubling times. But let's transition now to our third saying of Jesus, which we find in John chapter 19, verses 25 through 27, where we're going to witness Jesus' passion for his own family, particularly his mother in his dying moments. It says this, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, And Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus then saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. Ponder upon Jesus' words. Woman, behold your son, and then to the disciple, behold, your mother. I love these words of Jesus. They're so beautiful. They're so touching because as Jesus dies, as he sees his time on this earth coming to a close, he wants to make sure that mom is taken care of. Jesus loved his mom, and he wanted to make sure that after he died that she would continue to be provided for. And I think that resonates with with so many of us because I think for a lot of us, when we think about the worst case scenarios, perhaps we think about COVID-19, we're like, man, what, what if I'm one of the ones that loses my life to this virus? Or maybe you're not worried about COVID-19, but it's cancer or it's some other type of illness. Or maybe you're in the military or you're a first responder and your life is on the line every single day. Regardless, the reality is 
for all of us, at any moment, if God wants to, He could call us home. Our life is but a vapor. We're here one moment and we're gone the next. It's fragile. It's short. And I think for a lot of us, for most of us, when we think about the brevity of life, we just want to make sure that our loved ones, our family and our friends, that they're going to continue to be taken care of after we're gone. And Jesus is no different. In fact, he completely understands. I'd argue that when we make preparations for our families and our loved ones to be cared for after our death, we're actually walking in the footsteps of our Savior because he does the exact same thing here in this passage. He says, hey, Mom, you're going to be all right. You're going to be taken care of. I got you. I'm going to make sure someone's watching over you. That's the heart of our Savior. It reminds me of John chapter 21. After Jesus rose from the dead, he goes up to Peter after Peter had failed. And he says, hey, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he says, then, Peter, feed my sheep. In other words, you take care of my people. Take care of my church. That's the heart of Jesus. And church, can I remind us during this tough season that we're in right now, we need to continue to imitate Jesus and be the church that needs to be a priority. We need to check in on people, see how people are doing, show love to our families, like vocalize it. Tell your dad, dad, I love you. Text a friend, see how they're doing. And know that when we do this, we imitate the love of our Savior. In Matthew 27, verses 45 through 46, we find our next comment from Jesus while he was on the cross. It says this. Now from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those are tough words to hear. But it's real. It's real. Jesus is lamenting during his suffering. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is quoting from Psalm 22 which is known to be a psalm of lament. And actually, lament psalms are the most popular psalm in in the Bible. And as you read through lament psalms, what you're going to see is the people of God crying out to God because of their tough circumstances. They cry out to God. They say, God, are you there? Do you hear us? Are you going to do something? And many times in these psalms, There is no answer. They lament at the beginning of the psalm, and often they're still lamenting at the end of the psalm. Often, during seasons of lament, there are no answers. We're not given the why. We're just called to trust God and trust that He's good. Isaiah 55 talks about this where God tells his people, as far as the 
heavens are above the earth, so my ways and my thoughts are above yours. Trust me. Trust me. It's appropriate to lament during hard times. In fact, I'd say we we imitate Jesus when we lament during seasons of suffering. It's appropriate to cry out to God when we're struggling and we're going through tough seasons. To say, God, I don't like this. I don't like this. Where are you, God? Are you coming? Are you going to help us, God? Church, this has been a hard week. For our country, there's a lot of suffering going on right now. There's a lot of confusion, a lot of fear. And I'm sure you've realized it's just kind of interesting that this tough week of suffering coincides with Holy Week. This has been a hard week for America. But church, let's not forget that this was a much harder week for our Savior. Where God took him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. Our God understands suffering in a way that none of us are ever going to be able to comprehend because no one has ever suffered as much as Jesus did on that horrific day when he took the weight of all of our sins. All of it. Every single sin, he took it. No human will ever fully understand the theological significance of Jesus' cry, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he took every sin there's ever been on the cross with him and paid for it. It's okay to lament, church. I think we should right now. These are hard times. It's appropriate. But... During this time, let's turn to our Savior who understands exactly what we're going through and he can comfort us because he understands and he did something about it. That's why he came. So let's turn to Jesus. Let's lament, but let's turn to him. In John chapter 19, verses 28 through 29, it says this as we look at our next words from Jesus. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished, To fulfill the scriptures said, I am thirsty. And a jar full of sour wine was standing there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. Just a simple phrase, I am thirsty. It's simple, but it's significant. Because Jesus isn't just looking for relief here. He's fulfilling prophecy. Notice in verse 28, it said this. Knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill scripture, Jesus says, I'm thirsty. There's something deeply theological and sovereign happening here. You see, Jesus is showcasing that he is in complete control of his crucifixion. He knows every single detail that is about to occur because he's the one that's orchestrating all of it because it's all part of God's plan from the beginning that Jesus would come and pay the price for man's sin so that man could be set free and have a relationship with God. And Jesus knows what scriptures must be fulfilled in his dying. And he knows that there's still one more 
unfulfilled prophecy. So he says, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. What prophecy did he have in mind? Psalm 69, 12, written hundreds of years before, says, for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. It was all going according to plan. So that's exactly what Jesus asked for because his time had come, he knew it, and he was ready. Which is why Jesus declares these next words in John 19, 30. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. To tell us die, it is finished. Meaning, it's been paid in full. The wages that you and I owe because of sin has been crushed. And Jesus says, it's finished. You're free. You're not going to be bound by your sin and your failures anymore because I crushed it. I crushed it. Uh, my wife and I, we, we sold our house uh, a few months ago. And as we've been transitioning to a new house, uh, we've been staying with our parents. And while we were staying with my parents, this whole shelter in place thing happened. And it's, uh, as you know, it's been a different way of going about life. I don't think I need to explain it to you. Uh, but my parents, they share this fence with their neighbors. And these neighbors have some little girls about the same ages as, as my girls. And they started doing this thing. Uh, the, the neighbors' girls and my girls, they both love this movie called Frozen, uh, which I'm sure a lot of you parents of young children know what I'm talking about. And there's this popular song in, Un- in Frozen 2 uh, called Into the Unknown. And they started doing this thing where if the neighbors went out into their backyard, they would start singing this song. And if my daughters heard it, they would run outside and they would start singing with them. Or at other times, my daughters would go out and they'd start the song. And then the neighbors would come out and start singing with them. I mean, it's, it's really adorable. It was cute. But at the same time, it was also really sad because things aren't supposed to be like this. These girls are separated by this fence. There's this obstacle that's in the way. There's this fear of a virus that's keeping them apart. And my girls are awaiting a day where that shelter-in-place ban is going to be lifted so that they could finally enjoy the relationships that they were meant to enjoy. And I share that with you because the same thing is true when it comes to our relationship with God. The Bible says that our relationship with God was marred because of sin. It was this obstacle that was getting in the way of our relationship with God. And because of sin, the fear of death always lingered. And there's all sorts of anxiety that was going on because that was the fate for us as sinners, eternal separation from God. That's where we were heading. Yet as the scriptures declare, as we were heading towards hell, unable to save ourselves, Jesus swoops in and he takes on the wages of sin that you and I owe on the cross. He takes our place and then declares, it is finished. Meaning the fence has been torn down. The ban has been lifted and relationship with God has been restored. And we no longer have to fear death because Jesus has given us the promise of eternal 
life. That's what happened on the cross. And that's why you and I have hope tonight. The last thing that Jesus declares while he was on the cross comes from Luke 23, 46, where it says, And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Think about those words. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Let's be sure of one thing tonight. Nobody took Jesus' life. No, he willingly laid it down. Um, I love how Max Lucado puts it in his book titled Six Hours, One Sunday, where he says, nails don't hold gods to trees. (laughs) Profound. The God of the universe could have commissioned angels to come to his side to wipe out the guards. He could have whispered, a tiny word, and everything would have gone to dust. But he chose to suffer upon that cross because Jesus is the one that controlled the entire event because he knew the price that needed to be paid in order to set you and I free. Notice how he shouts, full of strength, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Nobody took Jesus' life. He laid it down. And then he shouts victoriously. He says, Father, we've won. We did it. I'm coming home. I'm coming home. Church, it's appropriate to lament during seasons of suffering. But let's not lament as those who do not have hope because Sunday is coming. Sunday's coming. Good Friday is a reminder that our God is for us. He loves us. He's not against us. And he loves us with a passion that we will never, ever be able to comprehend. And now, as a church, as believers in Christ, we have the privilege to come together as a family in order to remember his death and sacrifice by observing communion. And I would much rather do this in person with you But I'm thankful that in these interesting times, we have the technology available where we can still interact together as the church. Um, I know it can be hard to engage over a screen. I realize there's all sorts of distractions around you. Um, But let's not forget the sacredness of this moment. Because communion is a reminder of the horrific price that was paid as a result of our sin. God does not take sin lightly. And communion reminds us that Good Friday was necessary. And it's good news for those of us that, be, that believe. But before we even take communion, I'm just going to give you a moment, wherever you're at, just to come before the Lord silently in prayer as you contemplate the sacrifice that Jesus made on on your behalf. Uh, Perhaps this would be a good time for you just to confess your sins to God, but then to worship him for the reality that you are no longer defined by that sin. You have new life because of his grace. If you haven't already gathered your elements, um, do so quickly, okay? Because I'm going to give you about 60 seconds, um, and, and then I'm going to lead us in communion. 
And so I want you right now just to take a moment wherever you're at, just to come before the Lord and pray silently, and then we'll come back together here in a moment. Do that right now. Well, church, whenever we take communion, we're reminded of the sacrifice of our Savior, the seriousness of our sin, and the passion that our Savior has for us. But we're also reminded that when we come together and take communion, we do it as family. Even when we're separated, we're still family. We go through life together. We're going to get through COVID-19 together because there's a bond in the church family that's unbreakable because of what Christ did and communion reminds us of that. In 1 Corinthians 11, it says this, the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Church, the body of Christ, take and eat. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Church, the blood of Christ, take and drink. Let me pray. Well, Father God, we are thankful As we come before you tonight, we remember why Good Friday was so good. Because apart from Jesus, there is no way that we are going to have a relationship with you, Almighty God. Because we are wretched sinners. But we are so thankful that despite our sin, you still loved us. And he sent Jesus to come and take our place so we wouldn't have to spend eternity without you. God, give us strength during this time. We're in a tough season, God. We lament, but we don't lament as those without hope. We have hope because of what Jesus has done, and we look forward to Sunday. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, church, thank you for worshiping with us tonight, and we look forward to worshiping with you on Easter Sunday. Happy Easter.